Hey everybody, I'm Billy Branch and you're listening to Talking Blues. So, I read that you got a harmonica when you were 10 years old. Yes. But it wasn't because of the blues. No. So tell me about the love of the harmonica. How did that start? Well, as fate would have it, uh, one day I walked into a Woolworths department store and uh, I saw a harmonica in a glass display case. And I'd never seen or heard anyone play a harmonica live before. But it, it was almost as if the harmonica spoke to me and a little boy said, I could play that. And So uh, you've never seen anybody play the harmonica? No. You just saw this instrument? I just saw it. And um, so I asked the clerk how much it was and it was a dollar. And I happened to have a dollar. And as soon as... Uh, it was an, uh, wasn't the harmonica that we associate with blues. It was called a Valencia. It was a folk harmonica. Okay. And within recent years, I, I researched it on the Internet just to make sure I had the correct memory. And sure enough, it's there. I saw, I've seen photos of it on, on the Internet. It's double reed, curved. And uh, as soon as I put it in my mouth, I could play any folk song or Christmas carol that I could think of immediately really yeah what do you think why do you think that is um i think music may have been in my blood i discovered fairly also fairly recently that my great-grandfather uh uh played harmonica who was an escaped slave um my grandmother who raised me I didn't realize till after she passed that she was a classically trained pianist wow. and singer. I had no no clue. So it may have been in the DNA. Um, I was very... I didn't play an instrument, but I was very musically uh, inclined. I always wanted to play piano. Never... As a matter of fact, I'm teaching myself right now. But um, I just, uh, I don't know, it just like a little voice told me I could do it. So I presume you never took lessons? No. Uh, can you, did you, were you able to bend a note? Well, see, at that time, you got to understand, I knew absolutely nothing about blues which as we continue the interview I I'll elaborate on how that came to pass but uh, I I wouldn't know what note bending was right. and and this was a folk style harmonica not uh, conducive to bending you you can bend on them but they're not uh, designed with that in right. mind okay. yeah. so at the age of 10 what kind of music were you interested in well, I was, you know, um, whatever I'd hear on the radio, uh, you know, 10, this is pre, uh, 10 or 11, it might, I might have been 11, but um, 
pre-teenage years. So I'm just, everything, I was growing up in Los Angeles. So whatever I'd hear on the radio, you know, whatever uh, I'd enjoy. And during that time, uh, you know, you hear the old, the 60s uh, pop songs and, you know, Christmas carols and folk melodies. I'd play like Oh Susanna or um, just any melodies, you know. And the and the harmonica never left your side. Um, I used it just to entertain myself, and then I played around the family and my friends, and then it would wear out, and I'd go back and buy another one. Right. And I I I kept that up, and so uh, all through high school, and then I met eventually returned to Chicago my birthplace and um, what happened was I know the exact date because an article was written in the Sun Times Jeff Johnson the former uh, blues writer he, he happened to be at this event August 30th 1969 arguably the greatest blues festival ever produced uh, some of the names were Bo Diddley Coco Taylor, Junior Wells, Buddy Guy, Mighty Joe Young, uh, Big Mama Thornton, Muddy Waters, Big Walter Horton, um, Johnny Little John. Uh, there was like about 40 or 50 legendary names. But you didn't, you weren't a follower of blues at this point. I knew, I'd never, no. You stumbled upon this. If you want to put it like that, yeah, I, I, I what I, in my mind, I didn't like blues, because it didn't relate to me. It was, it was so, um, it was such an abstract notion at that. I had no contact with it. I had no uh, familiarity with it. But did you think it was like old people's music or probably? Know, yeah. I actually had no thoughts about it whatsoever. Pretty much old, yeah, pretty much old people's music, I guess. Because in L.A., um, I left uh, right out of high school, so I wouldn't have been going into the clubs. I had no exposure to it. I wasn't even just vaguely aware that it existed. Right. And then, so you find yourself at this blues festival, and what happens? Well, um, the only reason I know who was playing is because of that article. I had no idea who I was listening to. Uh, and Willie Dixon co-produced that festival with uh, Murphy Dunn, who was the son of the elder Mayor Daley's political aide, George Dunn. And I believe it was an attempt to kind of wipe the slate clean from the prior year of the Democratic Convention, mm. which, you, of course, you're familiar with. Yeah. You know, notorious because, you know, there was an issue by Mayor Daley, the then Mayor Daley, to shoot to kill the protesters, and they 
cracked a lot of heads. The cops did, and it was very ugly. And so I think this was, you know, we got to, that's not a good representation of Chicago. We got to do something nice, you know. We got to wipe the slate clean, you know. So this was a free festival. It was in Grant Park when the band shell was on uh, Roosevelt Road. And uh, the best way I can describe it is just, I was just uh, mesmerized. I Again, I couldn't tell you who I was listening to. Right. Uh, ironically, this festival was co-produced by Willie Dixon, who the band, his band, provided the rhythm section for all these guest artists. And um, just to show you what an effect it had on me, August 30th, 1969, seven years later, I became Willie Dixon's harmonica player. Which is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I wonder if, if at that festival you witnessed any harmonica players. Yeah. That yeah, because just... Junior Wells was there, Big Walter Horton, possibly James Cotton, uh, maybe a few others, I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering if the, that kid who walked around with a harmonica in his pocket yeah. saw harmonica being played like never before. Exactly. And thinking, my God. Exactly. Exactly, because um, as fate would have it, I had one blues record. And I said, this has got to be fate because <laughs> I had no absolute zero interest in blues mm-hmm. and I hadn't listened to this record. And the only reason I had this record, uh, you may be old enough to remember when you could send your film, your camp, your film in to be developed in the mail. Yeah. And sometimes they would give you a gift as an incentive. And the gift would be uh, like a record album. And they'd say, check classical, jazz, pop, or other. I must have checked other. Because they sent me this album. And I'm like, what? what the hell is this? You know, But that album traveled with me from L.A. to Chicago. And after that, con- I, I said, the light bulb went, I said, wait a minute, I got a blues album. I couldn't wait. And I ran, I couldn't, I caught the bus back home. And you know what that album was? I actually do know that album. <laughs> huh? I do know which album. You know which, which yeah. you the know John, it was. John Mayo and the Blues. Yeah, Brothers you read Eric that, Clark you've heard this story. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is curious though that it is a British album. Yeah. Uh, did that matter to you? Mm-hmm. Did that matter? At that point, it could have been a Chinese album. <laughs> as, it, it, as long as it was blues, I didn't care. I said, man, I got to play this. And then I, you may have heard that story too as well. And so I had good ear. And I could pretty much, you know, if I hear a melody or something, I could replicate it approximated but every track it wouldn't work 
because I didn't know harmonicas came in different keys. Right. So I <laughs> that harmonica didn't fit any of those songs. So how how does that person become part of Willie Dixon's band seven years later? Like, how do you become <laughs> a competent harmonica player in that period of time? Well, um, the blues was everywhere in Chicago at that time. And there was a multitude of clubs, uh, mostly at that time in the black neighborhoods of the south and west sides. And uh, a guy who became one of my best friends happened to be the son of uh, Junior Wells' girlfriend. Anna Mae Barner, who they had a pretty long association. So uh, Lucius Barner uh, took me down to Teresa's Lounge, which was Junior Wells' home base. Right. Plus, on campus, this was before I started my classes, that festival, I do believe. But of course, you know, you're going to find uh, students with guitars, harmonicas, and you know, we uh, we started having jam sessions uh, up in the, in the union. But Luchas took me down to meet Junior Wells and uh, Teresa's Lounge, and that may have been the first. Oh no, that may not have been, but one of the first blues clubs that I started frequenting. And then from there, you know, you find the network. You know, you go one place and then there's, right. and then you start meeting the guys. But was it easy to pick another harmonica player's brain or ask him for advice? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> and it's not the kind of instrument that you can watch and go, oh, that's what right. it's Right. Um, I'll tell you, if looks could kill, when when he introduced me to Junior Wells, I would have been dead on the spot because Junior was like, because my buddy he also played harmonica, and Junior was like, I'm trying to teach you what you bring this guy for, you know. And here I am, you know, very uh, how can I put it, uh, clean cut, uh, you know, twelve inch afro, you know, blue eyes, and you know the. He's looking, what did you, you bring this? What, who is this guy? And um, so I had to earn uh, the respect. Okay. You came back to Chicago to attend the university. Right. For political science. That's correct. At what point did you think, I want to become a musician? I want to become a blues musician as opposed well, to... Well, um, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, but because of my passion for the harmonica and the blues uh, was so strong that it, I just kind of found, found myself in, in that uh, vocation. I just, because after that, <laughs> that fateful day, I was like a drug addict. I I would 
go by myself. I would travel on public transportation all across the city. I didn't know a lot of people then. So I just, wherever the blues was, I would go. And, and then in the hopes that I might get to sit in on a song or some, a lot of times I didn't, but I would go and I would listen and I would watch and I would learn. What's the greatest thing you learned during that period? I, I approached it uh, very humbly and I had the utmost respect for those elders at the time. Of course, I'm older than many of them live to be right now. Mm -hmm. But I approached it with great reverence and uh, respect. I wasn't a pushy guy, even as much as I wanted to be on that stage after I got to a certain level. But I think one of the... Uh, most important things was that I had the respect and the appreciation for these, uh, you know, these great artists. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a time to come up, and mm -hmm. what a time to come up in the Chicago blues yeah. scene to yeah. see the people that you got to yeah. see. Yeah, because it was every, I mean, you had Sonny Land, Slim Jr. Wells, James Cotton, Big Walter Horton, Carrie Bell, Coco Taylor, Sun Sears, Johnny Little, John Mighty Joey, I may go on and on and on. Queen Sylvia Embry, uh, Big Moose Walker, Louis Meyer, the Little Walters Band. I'd sit in, I'd sit in with everybody. Mm -hmm. I'd play with everybody. A lot of people I can't even remember. Uh, but it was just a, uh, I was just driven. It was, like I said, it was almost like like an addict. It was something I just, I didn't even, uh, you know, you and I, we, we mentioned uh, No Toden, and where you saw me with Mark Hummel's harmonica blowout. And on another blowout, we Mark Hummel and uh, we were, I'm sure on the West Coast traveling, and I was playing some of my early, recordings and Mark said to me he said man you got good really fast and I hadn't thought about it like that until he said it and I said yeah I guess I did <laughs> because it was you know when I reflect back I never thought of it as as practicing but I, obviously I practiced a lot I did I wonder how important carrying that harmonica around in your teenage years, mm -hmm. not even, not playing the blues, but yeah. just play, playing it and playing things off through your years or whatever. Um, I wonder how important that was to becoming, to you becoming the harmonica player you are today. I, I think it's very important. Matter of fact, Rose and I have discussed this um, because uh, my style is very lyrical and melodic. And I learned by playing melodies. Mm -hmm. And when I instruct students, I emphasize that you have to tell a story with the instrument. The listener has to be able to follow you. One of the things I say in, in teaching is that even if you're playing harmonica solo, 
you you have to be to, able to impress the listener as if you are playing with a band so they can follow you you know right. i've heard guys i've you know that have been playing for years but don't understand there is a definite structure and a pattern to this a lot of them they're just riffing they're, but you've got to be able to effect to the listener as if you were playing with a rhythm section so they can follow where you're going so yeah. when when you joined the the Chicago All-Stars 7 years later yeah were you competent were you a good player yeah like did you I wouldn't have been in there like I mean not. I'm following in the footsteps of Big Walter Horton and Carrie Bell this is Willie Dixon uh one of the most influential people in the Chicago blues mm-hmm. um no I mean he wasn't going to he wasn't going to hire me cuz I thought I looked good or something, you know. No, yeah, I had, to, although I found out I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I still had a, I was good. I was good, but uh, I found out quickly that I had a lot more to learn. Can you elaborate on that? Like, why? Well, I replaced Carrie Bell, and Carrie Bell was one of Chicago's top legendary harmonica players. And um, uh, at that time, he was at the top of his game. But the reason Willie brought me in was because he knew Carrie Bell was going to leave. He brought me in. I think the first time he brought me in, Carrie was out of town. And uh first time I encountered Willie, and, and I ended up uh, on a recording session. But So I stayed in touch with him. But... Um, when Carrie left, after we got out there on the road, I found out quickly how much I didn't know. I mean, I was... As a player or more about the life? No, as a player. Okay. As a player. Plus, I was, I was playing through really inadequate equipment. I had a amp that Dixon loaned me, which might have had 25, 30, what, Sears Silvertone amp. In the beginning, right. I mean, in the very beginning, uh, and I'm I'm blowing so hard trying to keep up with the volume of the band. Buster Benton had this big tuck and roll gigantic <laughs> thing, and I've got this little, and I didn't know anything about telling the sound engineer to put it in the monitors or anything. But but at any rate, um, I just. I would go places and people would say, where's Carrie Bell? Carrie Bell. Carrie Bell. And then I started getting paranoid. You know, I said, oh, man, maybe I can't play. And But Dixon had a lot of faith in me, and he says, you know, some of the guys have uh, some of these promoters and all. They say, why, did, why I got you? This young guy said, I got you because I believe in you, and I know you're going to be able to do what needs to be done. He said, you hang in there, you'll be all right. Well, what a great lesson. I was going to ask you, what was the great le- lesson you learned from yeah. Willie yeah. Dixon? I presume that would be yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's, one, that's one of them. Uh, and, and from Willie also, I think he instilled in me a very deep appreciation and understanding of the blues 
beyond just uh, its musical significance, social, political, and he viewed it as uh, a keystone of African-American culture. How important is that to you today? Yeah, very much so. Um, as you, I'm sure you know, I've also been engaged in blues in schools, mm -hmm. being one of the pioneers of that, one of the first people. And uh, certainly I've taught it longer than anyone else and more comprehensively. And can, can I ask you how that started? What, what, there, why did you see the need to, to do that? Well, there's the blues is the roots of America's music. And it's important that people know about this, that the, all the rock and roll, the Beatles, the Stones, the Hendrix, all the pop music, they need to know that it began in the cotton fields of Mississippi. It, you know, a lot of people, and even myself, when I was ignorant to the uh, history of the blues or the significance, uh, you think that. You hear a song that might be by the Stones or another rock group or pop group, but not knowing the origins and um, it's important to know where uh, where things began it's you know it's it, his, the historical significance is very important mm -hmm. uh, but um, Willie he always expounded on the blues he was a philosopher as well as a, a dynamic writer. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very conscious of the significance of this music in America and very proud of the fact that his people, African Americans, were the inventors of this music. And which, sadly to say, a lot of times, that fact is is lost uh, in the the big picture. Does it does it concern you that there are probably more white people playing blues now? Um, it concerns me because a lot of times it obscures the the true history of the blues mm -hmm. and in many cases what, what you see now uh, what's disturbing to me and other artists as well black and white is that now you see blues festivals with no African American no black artists on it how mm -hmm. can that be that would be like if you had a Irish Celtic festival with all Japanese or Chinese people on it. You know, right. it's a topic of concern. Now, I know you're involved in the Chicago Blues Festival. Yes. Um, is that part of your concern? Like, is, is, that, is that an issue you have to bring up in your well, role? Um, the Chicago Blues Festival... I'm, yeah, I'm on the, the committee um, because Chicago is the blues capital of the planet. 
uh, it's almost it's almost unspoken that we know we have to feature uh, African American artists because this is what the blues is and was. And so many great, you know, this is where it exploded. This is where it all took place from Muddy Waters to Wolf and Sonny Boy and Little Walter and on and on on and on. So uh, we try to uh, keep a healthy balance, but still be, you know, we don't even have to say it because the tradition here is so strong. You know, like if you were going to say like the Jazz and Heritage Festival, we're not quite there yet, I don't think in terms of uh, embracing uh, the music to the way New Orleans does, you know, their heritage, but it goes without saying they're going to feature um, uh, continue the historical continuum of that legacy of that New Orleans music. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do that here as well. Do, do you find that there are a lot of young black artists from Chicago carrying on that tradition? Well, because I think that I, might be a challenge too. I, right? I'm I'm uh, optimistic these days because as with, of the last. I'd say within the last decade and especially within the last three to four years, I'm seeing an influx of very talented African-American youngsters playing the blues. And that was my hope. That was part of my um, motivation in continuing blues in schools because, I mean, I love children, I love the youth, I love working with them regardless of their ethnicity. But, and I could tell you many, many wonderful stories uh, about how interacting with these children changed their lives in a very positive, I mean, from having a student that was suicidal who went on to become a model student to having kids who were very uh, dysfunctional and uh, kind of ostracized from their fellow students. You know, many, many stories I could t- elaborate. But well, Speaking um, of blues in schools, you teach it not only in North America, but all over the world. Right. Is your approach a little different, or is the message a little different when you're teaching it some, um, somewhere else? To a degree. For example, we were in Ecuador two years ago. I taught my in the Andes and mountains. I'm teaching and teaching my classes in Spanish, right? With some help, <laughs> with a lot of help, but essentially it's it's the same. Essentially, of course, uh, if I'm in Ecuador, I'm not going to be talking about the the cotton picking so much. I was in where was it? Did I do it in Haiti or someplace? And I had to talk about, uh, it wasn't cotton, what was it? That the, the manual labor that they did. Like sugar cane or something like that? Yeah, I think it was the sugar cane or, some, or something, or, yeah. 
but essentially is just to let them know that the blues can be happy and sad and that they can relate to I'm saying what the blues is the Willie Dixon's definition the facts of life so I said what gives you the blues and over the years I've had songs from whimsical to very deep political social commentary songs I could have recorded that talk about gangs and drugs and rape and and also it could be I didn't do my homework today you know I can't go what gives you the blues oh my brother uh, stole my yo-yo or my mother wants me to take out the garbage alright let's make a song about it <laughs> and so but basically the hook is that the way I teach I can have anyone playing something entertaining inside of five minutes. And so the fact that they've got this instrument and they're actually making uh, musical sounds that make sense that have a groove to it is the hook. It's like, wow, I'm actually doing this, you know. So... I'm curious why why this opportunity came up for you to teach the blues in Ecuador, because I don't know if Ecuadorians would know. I mean, I don't know if they have a lot of access to blues. Maybe they do. In this one instance, when we were in that community center, there were some kids playing like Little Walter. <laughs> I said, "Where'd you learn that?" I mean, I most of the kids were completely uninitiated, but there was a few that were seriously playing harmonica. You know, because what I do towards the end, uh, I have my, sometimes it would be the band, sometimes just me and a guitar, my guitars. We'd, we'd just play a song and let them pass, you know, let them take turns getting on the microphone. And a couple of these kids, they were playing, wait a minute, what? Where'd you learn that? He said, listening to Little Walter. Wow. So, yeah. Speaking of Little Walter. Yeah. Your latest album mm-hmm. is a tribute to him. Yes. How, what was the approach on that? Because you don't want to imitate him. Right. You want to pay tribute to him right. playing the way you are. But right. how, how did the project come about? Well, <laughs> here we go. Um... We had, over the, the recent years, we've developed a close relationship with little Walter's daughter, Marion. and Who's on the album. Yes. And then, to commemorate the 50 years? After his death, yes. Yeah. This coming year's yeah. anniversary. So, Rosa and Marion, especially Rosa, thought it would be a good idea, let's do a tribute to little Walter album. And she said, said you got Marion here we'll have Marion little Walter's daughter on it and first I said ah I don't know I said, what are you talking about I said well I said do you know how many little Walt tribute to little Walter albums have been done and I said oh, I said man you better do this album if you don't do it somebody else is going to do it and you're going to be sorry I said ah okay okay so we started rehearsing these songs with the band and 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 
again, my my reluctance was because I didn't want to do, I never want to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Right. And so I said, okay, we'll do this. But as we rehearsed, songs started taking a life of their own. And then these new arrangements started developing. And so, and you've heard the album. Mm -hmm. And so what you hear was an evolutionary process. It was challenging because even in the studio, as you stated, I... The challenge here's the greatest blues harmonica player that ever lived. You're going to do tribute to him, but you don't want to copy him, but you want to emulate his style, but you want to do something different, but you don't want to do the same old thing, but you want to make it fresh, but you want to preserve it. So all these factors. And on this album, I sold more than any recording I've ever done because it's, again, it's uh, giving tribute to Little Walter, so naturally it's going to be a bunch of harmonica solos. So, <laughs> so also I had to not repeat the same solos, and it it was a challenge. Um, you said the greatest harmonica player, blues harmonica player. Is that how you feel about Little Walter? I mean, I I presume oh, a lot of people would agree with you, but I that's mean, you personally. That, that, that's pretty much a given. Yeah, I mean. Even Junior Wells, James Cotton, they all... In Junior Wells, uh, no, there's a, there was a start of a Little Walter documentary, but they're in the... Uh, it's like a prequel or a trailer. Junior Wells and James Cotton said... J- Junior says, there'll never, ever, ever be another Little Walter. James Cotton, they... they you know, he was genius. He is... His approach, the whole use of the amplification system, using feedback and overdriving with the microphone. I mean, it had been, amplified harmonica had been done prior to Lil' Walter, but not, he took it to another level. He's like the Charlie Parker and Coltrane. Mm -hmm. I mean, you listen to a song which I attempted to recreate that roller coaster. He's in essence playing bebop on a 10-hole harmonica. So, I mean, the way he constructed his solos is pure genius. What did that experience of recording that album teach you? Well, uh, of, of this particular album? Yeah. Um, uh, I learned that... Uh, <laughs> stop it! <laughs> <laughs> She wants me to say, listen to your wife. <laughs> That's what she's waiting for me to say. Was that the look? <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. there is something we said about that. <laughs> but also that um, you have to keep an open mind because uh, if you have the right ingredients, you'll more than likely end up with something wonderful. And the right ingredients were, in this case, my band, Mm -hmm. because they're all excellent, highly skilled players. And they were, even though they didn't all 
come from a strictly blues background, but they are able to grasp the material and uh, effectively reproduce it. Yeah. Had you not gone to that festival back in 69, mm-hmm. and I know you were going for political science, mm-hmm. was there another plan? Like, w- when you went to university, did you have a plan as to becoming a teacher? or? No. I mean, it was understood that I was going to college. Three, right. gen- three generations of my family went to University of Illinois. My grandfather went to University of Illinois. He, he was a chemist. And uh, it was... I didn't know what I. I just we we knew I was going to college. That <laughs> no that was a given. That there was no ifs ands and buts. I was going to college. Um, you know, you go there. Seventeen years old. Who do you want to be? I don't know. Maybe a lawyer. Well, well, William. Political science is a great man. Okay, I'll major in political science. All right. <laughs> okay, so you decided to become a musician because you were driven by it. Yeah. This became your passion. Um, and you've had, like, a lot of success. Um, was there ever a point where you thought, wow, oh, did I make the right choice? Did you ever question well, yeah, that sure. choice? yeah, sure. I mean, you know, this music, there's ups and downs. And there you, if it can... You got it's 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 not an easy life, and there's times when you're not making uh, a lot of money, you know. So yeah, there were those times you doubt, hey, did I do the right thing? But um, I hung in there, and uh, you know, thankfully I I've been somewhat successful, not quite as successful as I'd like to be, but. But uh, I think that I have a, a path. Uh, there's a path to uh, even more success. Well, I mean, the other thing is in May, well, I guess you, you've been inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in May. You're being yes. officially inducted, which is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it is. <laughs> what does that mean to you? To think about that little kid who walked around with a well, Hulk harmonica and it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, when Barbara Newman, the president of the BMAs, when she informed me, uh, I was very surprised because and I told her I said, "Well, I certainly didn't expect to see this while I was alive." <laughs> And I meant that. Yeah. Yeah. What a great honor. Yeah. It is, it's It's a great honor uh, to think that someone who uh, came from not knowing if Muddy Waters was a person or a geographical location to being included in... Uh, uh, historical annals of, uh, you know, to be, that's, yeah. So when you got that phone call, what was the first thing that went through your mind? Uh, I said, um, I, I, I knew she wouldn't be, but I, I, I was almost feeling like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> you know, because I just, we, we, we have just been together in Lucerne Blues Festival, and of course she, 
she had to keep it under. She knew then, but she had to keep it under wraps. But, uh, you know, I, I wonder, I said, well, do I really deserve this? <laughs> you know, because I think about so many greats that I had the fortune to have known and played with, and I know some of them haven't uh, received that honor. And so I'm always conscious of that. Uh, but uh, I look back and it's getting close to 50 years I've been playing this music so I said yeah I've, I've paid enough dues I guess to maybe be included in that club <laughs> well I'm sure and to, be, to do this for 50 years to follow your passion yeah you know and to accomplish what you have yeah it's but it, 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 and that's the best way to describe it. It became a passion because, um, again, when Hummel made that comment, I hadn't thought about that. But it was I was just so passionately driven that even when I practiced, I didn't think of it as practicing. I was just driven. I got to get this. Whenever I would meet someone around my age I who was playing harmonica would be somebody on the street I mean I would see I was I would play my harmonica like on campus to this day uh, from University of Illinois my, some of my best friends today are my friends from college largely because I became the harmonica man I would play on campus in the lunchroom. I play in the halls in the elevator. I play on the L. I play in the movie theater. I play on the streets. <laughs> I play in neighborhoods. Kids would know me as the harmonica man, and it was it was I just played all the time. As a matter of fact, um, the girls that were on we had we developed this little clique. We became this little family because University of Illinois Chicago Circle Campus was one of the largest commuter schools. They had no dorms. We joked that if they if they'd had dorms when we would been we'd been there we'd still be we'd still be enrolled <laughs> because we 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 turned it into a party atmosphere. We had jam sessions every single day that would start from nine in the morning and sometimes we wouldn't even go to class, we'd just jam. We'd jam, we'd play, everybody who had an instrument. And uh, the girl, the girls in our little extended family, they'd be, Billy, will you please quit playing that damn thing? <laughs> and I only had one harmonica and I look around, I said, where's my harmonica? They'd hide it from me. They'd be like, mm, mm. and we joke about that now when they come to my shows. I'll tell that story on stage. But they, I was just obsessed. I, I just, I'd play everywhere, play on the bus. I met uh, two ladies that were sisters, and I didn't remember this. Um, I met them. I, at Willie Dixon Blues Heaven Foundation over 
20 years ago now they said you played on the bus and we asked you where you were playing and you said well you hang out at Teresa's and we came looking for, there for you for years and this is like 15 years later they found me <laughs> and I, I wasn't in a band I said I just hang out there but because I was playing on the bus and then, that, and then they'd come to Artists' Lounge, which I held uh, that gig down for 27 years every Monday on the South Side. Wow. Yeah. So my final question to you, tell me what that little harmonica means to you. Like you think about that 10-year-old kid who decided to buy a harmonica for whatever reason, who's been playing it for... Many, yeah. many years and well, the places it's taken you. What does that little instrument mean to you? Well, it means everything. It, it, it means that um, I look at it as destiny. I am the harmonica man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Our, our paths have crossed many times over the years, but I don't think I've ever actually sat down and talked to you. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right.